Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lori Hatton-Boyd. We've got a packed house today for a special edition of IRW Coffee Break. On today's episode, we're having a conversation with the IRS regarding their recently released Form 1042S Data Integrity Tool. We are really excited to welcome our guests, John Cardone and Lynn Vu from the Internal Revenue Service. John is currently the Assistant Deputy Commissioner for Services and Enforcement, and prior to taking on this new role, served as the Director of Information Reporting and Withholding at the IRS. Lynn is a program manager at the IRS, but also recently served as a territory manager in the foreign payments practice. So as you can see, both John and Lynn have spent an extensive time working on information reporting and withholding at the IRS. John and Lynn have also spent the last several years developing the IRS Form 1042S data integrity system that was just finalized and went live to the public earlier this month. To provide a little background, the 1042S data integrity tool, which you might have heard referred to previously as the Fairfax system, is the IRS developed tool that enables withholding agents to actually vet their 1042S data for common errors prior to officially submitting it to the IRS. The purpose of the tool is to reduce the number of common form completion errors, thereby reducing failed submissions through the fire system, as well as reducing unnecessary penalties and, of course, the ensuing back and forth with the IRS trying to get those penalties abated. This should be welcome news to everyone since nobody enjoys having their forms rejected or getting those penalty notices. And of course, the IRS just wants to have good information submitted the first time. So this tool is really a win-win for both industry and the IRS. We previewed an earlier testing version of this tool during its late development stage on a prior episode of IRW Coffee Break. But now we have the opportunity to hear about the final live version of the tool from the very team that created the program. So to kick us off, John, can you tell us a little bit about the tool? Thanks. As Lori discussed, the tool was designed to perform a quality review of 1042S data before it's submitted to the IRS. Right now, there's about 185 different errors that that we look for. Uh, The tool looks for uh, the conditions in the boxes themselves, and in some situations, whether or not the codes across the boxes correlate properly, whether there's a proper correlation between an exemption code and a treaty rate, or uh, whether or not the status code is appropriate for the type of income. The tool also has the ability to look up uh, the GINs to see if they are on the foreign financial institution list for the past year. One thing that we want to stress to users is that it is just a tool. It does not relieve withholding agents of their obligations to file the Form 1042-S and to furnish a copy to the payee. That's really helpful. Can you give us a couple of examples of when the tool issues errors versus cautions and what that means? As John mentioned, there are over 180 uh, checks that the tool is doing, which I don't remember them all off the top of my head. Uh, Some of the simple ones that I can remember that uh, result in errors is that, for example, if on the 1042S box 4A, which is the chapter 4 exemption code, if it is left blank and put with a zero zero, meaning the recipient isn't claiming any chapter four exemption, then the tool will go in and check for box four B to make sure that the chapter four withholding tax rate is thirty percent. And if it's not thirty percent, then the tool would issue an error. 
another example I can think of is for Box 3A on the 1042S, which is Chapter 3 exemption code. If it is input with a 01 effectively connected income, then the tool would go into and check to make sure that Box 13E, the recipient TIN, uh, should have a US TIN in there. Otherwise, it again, it would issue an error report. And for the cautions one, let's go back to box 3A. Uh, if the withholding agent used code 01 for effectively connected income as chapter 3 exemption code, then the tool would be able to identify certain types of income that are unlikely to be effectively connected with a U.S. trade or business. And then the tool would issue a caution advising the withholding agent to take a closer look at the income characterization. One more example of caution I can think of is for also Box 3A, Chapter 3 Exemption Code. If there is a 03 in there, which is income not from U.S. sources, then the tool will go look at the income code in Box 1 to make sure it's either 04 for interest paid by foreign corporation or 08 dividend paid by foreign corporations. If it's not either 04 or 08, then the tool would issue a caution to advise the withholding agent to check their income code and sourcing rules. As you know, in order to make correct determination for either one of those scenarios that I just mentioned, additional information is needed. So if I'm a withholding agent using the tool, I would interpret an error as an outright error that will be rejected and likely will result in a penalty notice, whereas a caution means there may be an issue, you should verify your data and make sure that this is the right manner for submitting the form. Is that right? That is right for 99% of the case. But for some time, if you receive an error that it doesn't seem to make sense to you, I recommend to go inside the tools under the resources that we have to take a look at our additional explanation for our errors. And if something doesn't seem right, please feel free to add in the feedback, send us, uh, submit a ticket, and uh, one of us will get back to you to make sure that we provide explanation that uh, is, is correct. Thank you, Lynn. So I think one of the more complicated issues is dealing with treaty rates. For treaty rates in particular, does the tool do a treaty check? And if it does, is it just confirming that the payee is from a jurisdiction where there's a particular treaty? Or does it also verify that the treaty has relief under a particular article or check whether the specific rate applied is a potentially correct rate for that treaty? The tool actually does check the treaty rate for most income codes and most countries. However, because of the additional criteria needed to be qualified for a specific treaty rate, when the system identifies tax rate that doesn't match with the one listed on publication 515, it would only issue a caution to advise the withholding agent to go back and check again in making sure that the rate use is correct before filing the information return. And you know, there are other certain specific, specified types of income that have a special tax rate the tools also check for those. However, depending on the requirements, some may result with errors and some may result with caution. So aside from those types of treaty differences, could a withholding agent simply rely on the tool and assume that the Form 1042S submitted is accurate if the system doesn't identify any errors? Uh, no, the tool doesn't check every possible permutation of the rules under Chapter 3 and 4 for withholding. We do want to expand the number of checks that it looks for. But no, the, the tool is, we think, a best practice to use to catch the obvious errors and to maybe 
clue you in or key you in on some of the more substantive issues that can be addressed in the publications or the treaty tables. So we do recommend that the withholding agents, if they do get an error, that they look at the forms and publications and and our error messages. And um, and by all means, rely on your best practices and other guides before submitting data. Yeah, that makes sense. So just following up with that, if they did use the the tool and and the tool didn't identify any errors, would that mean that the form uh, should at least be accepted by the fire system so that is the system isn't going to automatically reject the submission? Well, these are two separate systems. So when the 1042S tool does not detect errors on the 1042S, to me, it means that the data on that form is generally accurate. However, I cannot affirmatively say that at least it should be accepted by the fire system because the fire system have additional requirements that uh, I'm not aware of that, for example, the fire system has the T records, which this tool won't check. And I would recommend that the withholding agent to make sure that they meet all formats and any other requirements of publication 1187 before they submit their data to the fire system. So I think that all sounds really helpful. And I, I think every withholding agent wants to reduce the number of penalty notices they receive from the IRS. But one of the biggest concerns I'm hearing from potential users of the tool is whether the IRS will store the data they input into the tool. Can you address whether the Form 1042S data that is inputted by the user is stored for any period of time? And if so, whether the IRS is able to access that data? The data is stored within the tool only for 30 days, after which time it will be purged. The data can only be seen by the end user. Neither the IRS nor the software developer have access to the data or have any visibility into the data. It's merely stored for a short period of time so that if the user wants to go back and reference a report without uploading the full data set. We try to make that very clear on on the sign-in sheet that this is a work aid for the withholding agent and that the real data and the only data that the IRS will see on your 1042S is what comes through officially in the fire system. Now, we do track the aggregate number of error messages that the tool kicks out. If box 13A is kicking out a certain number of error codes, we will use that information either in our publications or in our outreach and education to uh, perhaps address this problem. But other than that, we do not look at any of the actual data that's submitted by the withholding agent. Okay, and when you say aggregate data, you don't mean aggregate data by withholding agents. So you're not going to see that Bank ABC had 100 errors. You just mean aggregate data across all of the withholding agents that are using the tool, right? That's correct. It's all users. We do not look at any one individual's data reports or the type of errors any one user is using. And I saw an IRS announcement last week stating that the IRS will take into account a withholding agent's use of this tool when making enforcement and penalty determinations. So could you expand on how this is actually going to work? And in particular, is this something that the withholding agent would bring up when it was drafting its penalty abatement request? And if so, do they need to prove that they're registered or should they be saving some type of evidence each time they utilize the tool? During an audit, if a withholding agent is assessed with information return penalties, it is certainly up to the withholding agent to include the use of the 1042S tool as part of their reasonable cost process. 
So I do recommend that the withholding agent to maintain copies of the reports that they receive from the tool, along with other documentation that show how that they corrected or update the data before they filing them. And, you know, furthermore, just as a best practice, I would recommend to include these steps into their due diligence procedures. Okay, so all of this sounds really positive for withholding agents. There really doesn't seem to be a downside of using this tool. How does someone register for this? And what information are they required to provide the IRS in order to register? So for those who are interested, they can go on uh, the IRS uh, webpage, irs.gov, and type in 1042S2 in the search box on the top right corner and hit enter. So you should see a link to a webpage that we created on irs.gov. I believe it's the second link when I try it this morning. So uh, on that webpage, there is instructions and additional information about the tool. But more importantly, it also has the uh, link to the actual tool itself. When you click on that link, it will take you to something called Quick Modules Online Login Page. Click in the register option and start your registration process. So to register, you would need the user's name contact information, phone number, address, email address, the company information, the passwords, and the security question to select them and provide answers. You know, the typical to register for any system, all of which takes about five minutes to complete. And then after you hit submit all the information you just provided, a few minutes after that, they should receive an email with a link to complete their registration process. So it is very important to check to make sure that the user that enter a correct email address. And if you have any issue at all, there should be a help or a contact information on the homepage for you to, to contact uh, our vendors for them to help you with the registration process. So just more mechanically, how does the user upload the data into the tool? Do they manually key in each entry or can they somehow upload bulk data into the tool? The tool is designed to accept bulk data uploaded just like most of the commercial software that you see, either drag and drop into the box or point and click. So you can upload bulk data files that way. You can manually key in a 1042S data fields if you have that. The tool is also designed to actually read a fillable PDF if you want to fill out a PDF. That one might not always scan the information correctly, but if it's easier to work from a fillable PDF and then upload that. But the bulk data, the, the point and click or drag and drop is probably the best way to go. Yeah, that'll be helpful. So what are the permissible formats for those bulk uploads? Well, the tool will read fire files. So if you have software that puts your data into a fire file, the tool will read IRS fire file uh, data files. And the other one is just the common comma-separated values or you know, the traditional what an Excel spreadsheet generates, a CSV file. So, John and Lynn, that has all been really helpful. Do you have any final suggestions or comments for withholding agents regarding the use of this tool? I think, as Lynn said, you know, when you do use the tool, it might be helpful to keep a copy of your final report to, that shows what you submitted to the IRS that you ran through the tool. We are very interested in improving the tool. It's a new tool. We are certain that we didn't catch every bug in our testing, and we actually have gotten some feedback uh, about some errors that we should add 
or change. So we really appreciate the feedback from the user community so that we can grow the tool and make it more helpful. When the system administrator or the company that hosts the tool itself, they can help you with registration problems or or login problems. But if there's some substantive questions on like the accuracy of the error message, or if you have a suggestion for a better test, you can give that feedback to Fairfax, the administrator of the tool for us. However, it might take us a little longer to get back to you because they will send those back to the withholding people at the IRS, and we'll spend a little more time looking at the question before we issue a response. You know, I think one of the unique things about this tool is this doesn't actually bring in revenue, at least as far as I can see, into the IRS. So usually when we see IRS developments, the developments are more about detecting errors that will trigger penalty notices or that will be errors on audits and improving the data to the IRS. This is strictly enhancing the user experience and reducing penalties. So it really is a positive thing for the industry, and it's really helpful that the IRS is doing this. That's correct. Withholding is all about just getting to the right number. We don't want to penalize withholding agents. We just want to help them help us get to the right amount of withholding so that the taxpayers don't pay more than they owe, but do pay what they do owe. And that was our goal in improving the quality of our data and giving something to our, the withholding agent community that they can use to help concentrate more on the substantive issues, not the issues of codes and exemption codes. Well, that concludes today's episode of IRW Coffee Break. Thank you for joining us. And a special thank you to you, John and Lynn, for your valuable time and insights. They're much appreciated. Thank, thank you. you for having us. As always, please share any feedback you have using the feedback button on the podcast homepage. We hope you can join us soon. 